Um, so the next three weeks on Sunday afternoons, we'll be thinking about our church vision and values. So we have one of these uh, series three times a year. We do it in January, around sort of April, May time in September, thinking about why do we exist as a church? And we take one kind of aspect of our, our vision and values, um, and we, we think about it, and we think about it for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, to help us, remind us uh, what it is we're here for, why we exist, and to help us live it out. So that's what we're doing for the next three weeks. It's a, a mini-series on our church vision and values. Um, and, well, what is our vision? Um, if you've seen this, this banner here, let's start by reminding ourselves what it is. Our vision is for all to be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. It's there every week. Uh, at the heart of that vision is transformation. At the heart of that vision is people's lives being changed. That's what we're passionate about here at Trinity. That's why we exist. Because we want to see people's lives changed. People who don't know Jesus coming to know him. People who know him coming to a deeper knowledge and relationship with him. And we believe that it's through meeting God and through experiencing his glorious love. So Trinity there is another a word for God, a Christian word for, for God, the, the God who is Father, Son and Spirit. Meeting that God and experiencing his glorious love is what changes our lives. It's what transforms us. And there are people in this room who have become Christians since Trinity started. We've been going three years People who have come to the church and met this God and he's come into their lives and he's changed their lives and that's wonderful. That's why we exist. That's our vision. That's what we want to see. People's lives being transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. And it's because our lives have been shared, uh, uh, sorry, changed, that we want to share that, that love with others. So our goal each Sunday as we meet and as we preach is basically to say to everyone, come over here, come and meet God. Come and meet this God. This God's amazing. And as you meet him, as you experience him, as you come into relationship with him, he will change your life. So hopefully, if you've, if you've been coming here for any length of time, whether it's three weeks or three years, you will have experienced something of that as you've come here, of us saying, meet God. He's amazing. For the next three weeks, we're going to have a slight change of gear, but going in the same direction, if that makes sense. So it's the same vision, but we're going to think about how we as a church can do this during the week how we can help each other introduce our friends and our neighbours, people who don't know Jesus, to this God. How we can do, meet God, he's amazing, personally, Monday to Saturday, as well as hear it done on Sunday. So this series is called Contagious. And the idea is that it's going to help us, hopefully equip us, to be that kind of Christian during the week and to share the God that has changed our lives with people who need their lives to be changed. We want to be contagious Christians, Christians who are catching, Christians who share their faith. So that's the idea, and it's probably fair to say this, this series is aimed at people who are regulars here, who are Christians, but if you're not a regular here, and you're not a Christian, please don't let that put you off. Okay, we're delighted you're here, honestly, thrilled that you're here. And please uh, don't switch off, please instead see this as an opportunity to perhaps look under the bonnet, to, to look at what's the heartbeat of the church, how, what makes us tick, um, and what drives us, what do we really care about. Um, you can maybe see it as a bit like window shopping. You know when you do window shopping, you go into town, you think you want something you're not really sure, and you don't know if that shop sells what you want, and you don't want to go in and commit yourself, so you look through the window, and you see what they're offering through the window, window shopping. See it a bit like that. You're looking through the window of church. You're not going in yet, not committing yourself, but you're seeing, is what they're doing what I want? And why don't you think, um, if that's you as I'm talking, you know, is what they're offering something that I'd like to know more about? Would I like to step through the door and get to know these people a bit better? So the series is called Contagious, and we've got three weeks, 
And there's going to be three kind of ingredients, if you like, to sharing our faith. Three kind of key principles to, to, to sharing our faith with those that don't know Jesus around us. And the idea is, is based on a book. It's called Becoming a Contagious Christian. It's loosely kind of based on that, that book. Um, so we've got these three, three sort of uh, stools, uh, legs of a stool, if you like, a three-legged stool. Um, and the thing about a three-legged stool is, if you lose one leg, the whole thing's useless. Right? Ever sat on a three-legged stool with two legs? No. I've sat on a four-legged chair with three legs. That just about works. But with a three-legged stool, if you lose one, chuck the whole thing out. The idea is we need all three of these things. So the first is enjoy. That's what we'll be talking about this week. And it's the, that's the first and most basic thing, really, about sharing our faith. We've got to have a faith to share. We've got to be enjoying our own relationship with God, enjoying being a Christian, if we're going to have something to offer to people. Before uh, recommending a restaurant, you've got to have eaten there so you know what it's like. Before recommending a relationship with Jesus, you need to be enjoying it for yourself. Okay, so that's what we're talking about today. Uh, next week, we're going to look at connect, and Mike's going to speak to us about connecting. And that's basically get around people. Spend time around your friends, neighbours, colleagues, family members, people who don't know Jesus. Get out there into the world. Sounds obvious, uh, maybe less so. We'll see what Mike has to say next week. Number three is communicate. That's Peter in two weeks' time. So once you get there and an opportunity arises to, to talk about Jesus and share your faith, what do you actually say? How do you know what to say in that situation? So Peter will talk about that. So three weeks, three legs of the stool. Enjoy, connect, communicate. And we need all three. Okay, what happens if we enjoy God and we're connecting with people, but we never communicate? We never talk about him. We never even tell people we're a Christian. It's a bit pointless. What happens if we're enjoying God and we know what to say, we know what to communicate, but we never spend time around non-Christians? Again, it's a bit pointless. But what about if we lose the first one? What about if we're, we're spending time with our friends and we're talking to them and sharing about Jesus? but we're not really enjoying being a Christian, not really enjoying a relationship with him. Probably we'll be doing it out of some kind of duty. We'll be doing it as a burden. It's a, it's a weight on our back. I've got to share. I know I should, but I'm not really enjoying this. That's probably the, the worst situation of all. It's probably more than just pointless. In fact, I might even say it's dangerous. You, you might even do more harm than good if you're doing that. In fact, I might even go so far as to say, if you, if you haven't got this first one, if you're not enjoying God, maybe don't, don't share, share about Jesus. Just sit back and, and, and leave it. Maybe you think that sounds a bit extreme. But the reality, is, the reality is, we're all turned off by being evangelized to out of duty. And I can prove that to you by asking you how you feel when you walk into town and see someone with a clipboard and a red jacket asking you to sign up to a charity. How do you feel? And what do you do? And what I do, I walk across to the other side of the street and, and avoid them. Where people are turned off by being evangelised to out of duty. We've got a, a friend who, um, she's, she teaches English at a university in Islamabad, in Pakistan. She's a Christian. Um, we saw her recently, spent a really good day with her. And she, she speaks fluent Urdu. And she says at the end of every semester, without fail, she'll have a group of Muslim students, male Muslim students, coming to her and trying to persuade her to become a Muslim. She says, you'd be a great Muslim. You speak the language. You know the culture. You make a great Muslim. And every time it happens, she says her heart sinks. They're not really interested in her. They don't really want to know her or, get, or build a relationship. They just want to convert her. That She's a project. Okay? People are turned off by being evangelized to out of duty. But the opposite is also true isn't it? When we meet someone who's genuine and who's got, uh, who's got a passion for something, then we're intrigued. 
So uh, a few months ago, I was at a family wedding, and it was one of Hannah's cousins, and I got talking to one of her uncles, Uncle Richard, and uh, he's a crime fiction expert. He works in this uh, bookshop in Cambridge as their crime fiction kind of guy. Was it 30, 40 years he's been working there? He's a, he's a, and he's on, the, on a panels for judging crime fiction sort of awards. He chairs one of them. So I got talking to him and got talking to him about crime fiction. It's a great uh, conversation. When someone's enthusiastic, you learn loads. And I was asking him, well, what makes a good crime fiction book? And uh, have you got any recommendations? And he recommended this author to me. I was in a charity shop um, a few weeks later and saw this guy, uh, a book by this guy. So I bought it and read it on my summer holiday. Now, I would never have done that if I hadn't met him. Okay? When someone's got a genuine passion for something, we're intrigued by it, aren't we? Or maybe you know someone who's really passionate about a cause. Uh, they've, they've been to a foreign country. They say they've been to Africa and seen people living in awful conditions, and there's a charity that's, that's helping that, that particular need, and they give to the charity, and you're talking to them about it. They're sharing their passion, and they say, would you give to this charity? Would you consider it? Or there's, let's say there's a bill going through Parliament. And, you, and, and you're passionate about it, or you've met someone who really cares about this cause. It shouldn't be going through. And they've got a petition. They say, would you sign the petition? And when I meet someone like that, I'm far more likely to sign on the dotted line through meeting someone who cares about a cause than I am through someone with a clipboard. Right? We're natural evangelists for things that we're passionate about. We're, it's the same for us all. We're all natural evangelists for things that we're passionate about, things that we care about. There's a certain grocer in town whose name I won't mention that sells extremely reasonably priced soft fruits in large plastic bowls. And I can see from the smiles, we've recommended it to half the town, I'm sure, because we think he's great. We're natural evangelists for things we care about. And that's why this subject is so important. Because if we get this, if we get into that place where we're passionate about God, and where God is the best thing in our lives then recommending him follows naturally. But if we miss this, and we try and do the, do, the, do the talk and walk the walk, and we're not really enjoying him, then sharing him is not just pointless, it's probably dangerous. And we might even do more harm than good. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to that place where we're passionate about God, where he's our first love? Because the reality of life is, isn't it, that we often feel overwhelmed. We often feel busy. We're often tired. We often get distracted by other interests and pleasures. And when we're in that place, God can feel distant. It can feel miles away from our first love. So how do we get there? How do we recover this desire for God? Well, it's not as simple as me just standing here and telling you to do it. Sadly, it'd be nice if it was. I can't stand here and tell you, enjoy God, and hope that's going to make a difference. Because passion for something is generally caught, not taught, isn't it? It's often seeing someone else enjoying God and enthusiastic about God and passionate for him that makes us, that gets us there, gives us that passion. And you might be able to think of someone, if you're a Christian here, in your life who has modelled that kind of passion for you. Someone who's been enthusiastic, someone who's, who's given you, passed on to you an enthusiasm for, for the Bible or for prayer or for whatever it is. So what we're going to do this afternoon is turn to an example of someone in the Bible who was genuinely deeply satisfied in God. We're going to turn to an example of someone who really enjoyed God and for whom God was his, his first love. So if you've got a Bible, please grab hold of it and turn to page 479 in these, these black Bibles. Um, if you haven't got one, turn to Psalm 63. Uh, we're going to read the first eight verses of Psalm 63 and think about this together. A psalm written by a guy called King David who really modelled this, this kind of passion, this kind of desire 
for, for God. So the psalm starts, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So just, I'll just pause there and give you a bit of background. So we think this psalm was written um, by David when he'd been king for a number of years, decades. And um, he, he'd actually been, been forced off his throne um, because of a, a, a coup by his own son, Absalom. He'd become estranged from his son. Absalom had, had come into Jerusalem and, and taken over, basically. And David had to flee for his life. So he's running away from Jerusalem, running away from his own throne, and he's in the wilderness outside Judah. And he's, physically, he's in the wilderness, right? But also kind of metaphorically, like in his, in his heart, he's in, he's in a dry place. It, it's, a, it's a place of difficulty um, and, and, and trial for him. So let's just read what he, what he writes. Um, Psalm 63 from verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So I just want us to notice a few things about how David describes his own state of mind. Okay, just, just three things that we notice here. So first of all, notice how desperate David is for God. Look at verse 1. He says, earnestly I seek you, O my God. Earnestly. That word could also be translated early. It's this idea of the first thing he thinks of when he wakes up is, I've got to get to God. I'm desperate for you. I'm seeking you with everything I've got. He says, my soul thirsts for you. Now, if you've ever been thirsty, really thirsty, you know the power of thirst. We had a sunny day yesterday. Hard to believe it today. But if you were out in the sun yesterday, maybe you were doing some jobs outside, going on a walk, doing some exercise, chasing the kids, whatever it was. Maybe at some point you realized, I need a drink. I'm thirsty. And at that point, you just have to get a drink. You've got to stop what you're doing. I remember um, in a, a church that we used to go to, there was a meeting room upstairs. I used to have meetings in there every now and then. And uh, I don't know what it was about this room. It was where the boiler was. I, I don't know if it was particularly, what's the opposite of humid? Dry. And, but every time I went in there, I, I just needed a drink. And I worked this out. And so I used to take a bottle with me. When I had a meeting, whenever I had a meeting in this room, I'd take a bottle of water. There was one day, it was a warm, sunny day. I'd cycled there, and I was thirsty before I got into the room, forgot my water. And after half an hour, I was lit, my mouth was literally parched. I was like, I can't concentrate on anything that's happening. I can't focus on what people are saying. I've got to get a drink. On reflection, I was thinking about this story. I don't know why I didn't get out, and get out of the room and get a drink. I probably should have just done that. For some reason, I felt like I had to stay in the room. But it was awful. It was awful. When you're thirsty, really, it controls you, and you can't think about anything else. And David says, my soul thirsts for you. So our soul is our inner being, the spiritual part of us. He says, spiritually, I'm just thirsty for you. I've got to have you. So David's desperate for God. Secondly, notice how satisfied David is by God. Look at verses 5 and 6. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. If you've ever had a really good meal, 
you know what it's like to be satisfied um, by, by good food. And it's, it, it gives you a smile, doesn't it, in your, in your stomach. Your belly's just happy. Um, I was remembering with, with Hannah Meal, we went out uh, for a number of years ago in Bristol for our anniversary. One of these taster menus. I think it was a Groupon voucher or something. It's a seven-course taster menu. So you go into this, this restaurant, and you get given these tiny little plates of food, and there's seven courses. And the first course arrived, I, th- I remember thinking, looks nice, a bit small, hope they get bigger. And the, the courses went on. I was like, okay, second course, still kind of in starter territory. Hope the main comes later. And the whole thing took about an hour and a half, seven courses, and they didn't get any bigger. They were all tiny. They were all delicious, really tasty. And we had something to clear our palate between courses, all this kind of thing. And uh, at the end of the meal, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to be hungry. But I wasn't. I couldn't eat another thing. I was full. I, I, can't, I can't look at food again for another week. It was delicious, not because of the quantity, but because of the richness and, and the quality of the food. My, I, I was satisfied. When you have a good meal, we're satisfied. And David says, that's how I feel about God. My soul, my spiritual being that was hungering for him, has met him, and now I'm satisfied. I've met God and I'm saying, thank you, that was what I needed. Thank you, I'm satisfied. So David's desperate for God. David's satisfied by God. Thirdly, notice how joyful David is as a result. I've just got some verses up on screen to highlight this, but look at verse verse 3. He says, my lips will praise you. Verse 4, I will bless you as long as I live. Verse 5, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Verse 7, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. David's kind of overflowing, bubbling over with joy in songs. And that's just what happens when you're satisfied. It's the natural overflow of having found something that's good. You speak of it. David just naturally sings. He's got to express his, his satisfaction. He, he's naturally just joyful. It, it bubbles out of him. And note here that joy is not the same thing as everything's fine in his life. Where was David? Remember? He's in the wilderness. He's fleeing for his life. His son's just taken his throne. It's incredibly traumatic circumstances, but David is able to say, I will sing for joy. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So how? How is that possible? How does David get there? Where does his delight in God, where does his satisfaction in God come from? What's he found? Let's have a look at verse 2. Have a look down at verse 2 if you've got a Bible. He says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. We're imagining David here. He's got up early to to pray. He's hungry for God. He's thirsty for God. He gets on his knees, and in his mind's eye, he goes back. He recollects an experience he's had, or experiences, of meeting God in the sanctuary. So the sanctuary is the tent where they used to, to meet God, where the sacrifices were made. And David pictures himself there. In his mind's eye, he pictures himself seeing seeing God and experiencing, tasting something of God's power and his glory, his, his beauty, his character. He, he looks at God. He, he remembers his experience in the sanctuary. And his mind come back, comes back to the present. And he dwells on God's character, dwells on who God is. And perhaps he thinks of his own life. Perhaps he thinks of his, his sin, the mistakes he's made, the mess he's made of his, his family, of, of various things. He thinks of God's forgiveness how God has forgiven him and saved him, how God has been gracious and God has been merciful to him. Maybe he thinks of all the ways God's helps, helps him in his life, all the things God has done for him, all the, all the ways God has blessed him. Maybe he thinks of, of the sacrifices God's provided to make a way for David to speak to him, to be his father. David thinks about God's character. He's there on his knees. He dwells on God, dwells on his love, and he takes up his pen 
And he writes verse 3. Let's have a look. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Wow. David's got to the point where he's able to say, wow, your love for me, your steadfast, unchanging, faithful, forgiving love is better than the best life has to offer. And therefore, my lips will praise you. That's what David's found. That's why he's able to be joyful in these circumstances. That's why he's able to say, my soul is satisfied, as with fat and rich food. Because he's dwelling on God's steadfast love, and that's what satisfies his soul. And it's the same for us. For us, it's dwelling on God's steadfast love that's going to satisfy our souls. I don't know when you last stopped and thought about God's love, specifically God's love for you. I know for myself, when I stop and I take time and I consider, I consider my life and my own sin and I consider my my self-focus and my pride and my stubbornness, I look back on all the times that I've been slow to take advice, I've been resistant. I, I think about the mess that I would have made, I'm sure, of my life if God hadn't stepped in and sorted me out. I think about God's forgiveness of me for all my sin. I think about all the ways God's helped me, how he's been faithful, how he's been steadfast. I think about the sacrifice that he made of his own son to make a relationship with him possible. That he sent Jesus to die so that I could call him father. And that's, that's where joy is found. Whenever I do that, that's where joy is found. It's being in relationship with that God, that God who's loved me and given himself for me. That's where life is. That's where joy is. That's the meaning of life. That's what we're here for. We're made for that relationship. It's being in that relationship with the Trinity, the God who loves us. That's the most deeply satisfying thing we can ever experience. And look, maybe you're not a Christian, And maybe you're hearing what I'm saying and you're thinking, yeah, I've been looking for meaning in my life and I haven't really found it. I've looked everywhere. I'm struggling. This is what you were made for. This is the meaning of your life. This is the meaning of everyone's life, to be in relationship with the God who loves you and who's given himself for you, to forgive you as you are, no matter what you've done. That's the meaning of life. And when you find this relationship and when you enjoy this relationship, speaking of God comes naturally. Praising him with joyful lips just happens. We don't have to try because we've got something to recommend. And that's why this first leg, enjoying God, that's why this first leg of the stool is so important. So I want to just uh, get a bit practical now. That's all the, the theory. That's why it's so important. Um, but I want to think about what it actually looks like to live out that kind of relationship with God. Because it's easy to talk, isn't it, of uh, having a relationship with God and not actually be very clear what that means. Um, the reality is we're busy, we're tired, we get distracted. So, so how does this actually work for us? How does it work to actually have a relationship with God? Um, well, it's, it's a bit like a marriage. Okay, you get married, you fall in love, you get married to someone, and, and having a, a strong and healthy marriage doesn't just happen. There's, there's naturally a kind of, of drift that happens. To have a, a strong marriage, you need to invest in it. You need to work at it. You need to, uh, to be intentional and give it time, make decisions that prioritise your marriage over other things. And above all else, you need connection, right? So connection happens on different levels in a marriage. You're going to have the, kind of the daily uh, little uh, tidbits of how you're doing, what time do I need to pick up the kids, can you get this from the shops on the way home, that kind of thing. There's the, the sort of slightly deeper, maybe once a day, how you're doing, what's going on, what's on your heart. 
Um, how are you feeling about this? There's perhaps a, a weekly, uh, another level of, of depth in the, in the communication. Maybe you go on a date, you take time out to talk at a deeper level about how things, how things are going, how you're feeling. Um, you might even have a, a yearly kind of rhythm to your relationship where you, you go on a, a retreat and you, you have a break, say for an anniversary or something. And just like in a marriage, it's the same with God, in a relationship with God. You become a Christian and you taste something of his love and you want to get to know him better. You want to know more about this God that saved you and has loved you like this. And that doesn't just happen. There's a natural drift in our souls. It takes a bit of intentionality, a bit of investment. Um, and that can happen on a number of levels, just like in a marriage. There can be the sort of daily uh, arrow prayers. God, I'm not sure about this. Help me with this. How do I do this throughout the day? There's the once a day kind of sitting down, spending time with him, reading his word and praying. There's the weekly kind of coming to church on a Sunday, hearing the Bible preached, singing and taking communion, stuff you can't do normally during the week. There's the once a week kind of rhythm. You might even have a yearly rhythm to your relationship with God. Maybe a retreat with him, or maybe a conference you go on or a camp or something that, that you can't do every year, the whole year. There's, a, there's, there's a, a, a different level to our connection with God. And all of those things go into what it means to have a relationship with God. And there's loads that could be said about each. Um, I, I want to talk just briefly about the, the daily kind of interactions. Um, if you've been around Christians for a while, you might have heard this called like devotional time or maybe a quiet time. It goes under different names. Um, but it's a, it's a discipline that Christians have been doing for centuries, since the start of the church. People have been taking time aside uh, once a day, every day, to try and connect with God, meet with God. And I think in some ways this is the most important uh, way that we can connect with God. It's kind of the heart of our relationship with him. But I think it's also uh, something we talk about the least. We, we don't often actually talk about what happens in those times. Um, you might have heard Christians saying something like, oh, I was reading this in my quiet time this morning. And they can develop this kind of aura of mystique around it. But what actually happens in that time? What do people do? And we never really talk about it. I think it can be a bit baffling, especially if you're a new Christian. What do I do? What is a quiet time? Um, that might be because time with God is personal and it's different for everyone. And we don't want to be prescriptive and say this is the way you do it. But personally, I think we could do more to help each other in this area. Um, share ideas. One of my favorite questions for asking older Christians is, what do you do in your times with God? What do you do? How do you read the Bible and pray? I learned so much from asking that question. So um, I'm going to try and sort of demystify it a little bit by sharing what my times look like at the moment, just to sort of offer it. And I really, this isn't because I've got it sorted, okay, actually quite the opposite. Um, I've been doing something a little bit different for a few weeks because I was, feeling, I was struggling actually with reading the Bible and praying. I was feeling like my times of God were a bit, a bit dry. So um, I had a good chat with a friend, he suggested something, I thought, yeah, I'll try that, and it's, it's been good. Um, it's just like, just like a marriage, you know, I've been married for... 10 years, and we're still finding ways that, oh, this isn't quite working, we're not quite connecting, let's try something different. Just look the same with it in a relationship with God. So here's what I do, just uh, offer, it, offer it to you. So I'll try and uh, spend half my time praying, half my time reading the Bible. So I know if, if I've got 10 minutes, I'll try and do five minutes on each. If I've got an hour, I'll spend half an hour on each. Um, sometimes start by a bit of journaling. If there's something on my heart, I want to get it down and express it. And I've been doing, what I've been doing for the last few weeks is praying through the Lord's Prayer. Um, and it's been great. I like it because it's, I, I have to start by reminding myself who I'm talking to, our Father in heaven. God's in heaven, and he's my Father. I start with worship. I want to honour your name. May your name be, be holy. 
I like it because it forces me to, to realign my priorities. I'm saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. It's not about me, it's about you. It's not about what I want in this situation. It's about what you want. And then it gets me praying for important stuff, daily bread, um, forgiveness for myself and that I would forgive others, for protection from temptation, deliverance from evil. If you don't know the Lord's Prayer, memorize it. It's a great, great bit of the Bible to memorize. And it gets me praying not just for me, but for my community. The words are, it's, it's all phrased in, in communal language, our daily bread, forgive us our sins, lead us not into temptation. So I think of myself, I think of my wife, I think of my children, I think of you guys, I pray through a list, I think of other friends and family, and it's great. So that's what I've been doing uh, for prayer. I pray for God to, to speak through his word, and then I open the Bible, I'm reading through Luke, and I pray that God would speak to me. And as I'm reading, I underline stuff that sort of jumps out that God puts in my heart. At the end of that time, I'll look back over what I've underlined and talk to God about it and respond to him. Uh, it's simple. I just sit down, set some time aside, pray through the Lord's Prayer, read the Bible. But the times that I've spent with God and I've, I've connected with him, and I know, I finished that time, and I know I've just spoken to the living God, the God who made heaven and earth. And I've asked him for things, and he's heard me, he's listened, and he's spoken to me. And every now and then, stuff that I write in my journal, I'll then read the Bible, and what I've underlined answers what I've written. Like, God, thank you. That was, that was God who made the world speaking to me. It's mind-blowing. This, having, this is the substance of a relationship with God. And I'm not saying I've got it sorted. I don't say this to try and say this is the way to do it. Actually, there's loads of ways to do it. Um, some people write their prayers out. Some people do prayer walks. Some people pray through Psalms. Um, Paul was saying he listens to the Bible as he reads it. There's loads of ways to do it. Um, and actually, we've got life groups this week, so we're going to be talking about this in life groups. That would be a great question to ask in your life groups. What do you do in your times with God? What's, what's helped you recently? What can I learn? And I'm looking forward to hearing what others have got to say this week and learning from others in our group. It's a way we can help each other as Christians. So it's simple, but it's profound. It's a profound thing to do, to be in a relationship with the living God who made you and who loves you and who sent his son to die so that you could do that with him, talk to him. It's amazing. Being in that relationship, that's the most deeply satisfying thing that we could ever experience. I mean that. It's better than life. God's steadfast love is better than life itself. So maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, I want that. Or yeah, I want more of that. Why not? Here's a little challenge. Why not think of one thing that you could change this week that would help you invest more in your relationship with God? Why not think of one thing you could change? There's not five things or ten things. There's loads of things we could change. Just choose one thing that you could change this week to invest in your relationship with God. Maybe it might be starting a relationship with God. Maybe you don't know him yet. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know him, but you know what? I'd love to. I'd love to. That sounds amazing. Come talk to someone afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about that if you want to start a relationship with God. Maybe it's starting a regular time with God. Maybe you don't do what I've just described. Maybe it's simple as setting aside ten minutes a day to just pray and read the Bible. Or maybe it's improving your regular times that you have. Maybe it's changing the place, or changing the time, or changing your alarm clock, or changing what you do, or changing the Bible that you're reading, or turning your mobile off. It could be anything. One thing to change, to invest more in your relationship with God. And remember, this is not a box to tick in everything we're talking about. This isn't something that earns us brownie points. This is the best thing life has to offer. God's steadfast love is better than life itself. And when we get that, when we get that and we experience it and we enjoy it, that's when our lips will praise him. And that's when we'll be contagious Christians. Let me pray.
Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your incredible, incredible sacrifice in sending your son to die for us so we could know you and be in relationship with you. Thank you for the privilege of calling you Father, Father in heaven. What a wonderful thing to say. We thank you. And I pray for each person here who knows you and is following you, that this week would be just one of enjoying relationship with you. This week would be one of, of enjoying knowing you as their father. And Father, I pray for any who don't know you, who might be listening to this, looking in, window shopping, and thinking, yeah, I'd like that. I'd like to go through the door. I'd like to find out more. Father, I pray you'd work in their hearts and you'd give them a taste of your love, even today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.